Welcome to Spooky Show. It's a show about really spooky things. Um, this week we're going to talk about a true, cri- a true crime case. And I'm with my friend Steph. Hello, everybody. <laughs> uh, we are both true crime lovers, uh, good friends. We went to the True Crime Festival together in BC. And we met uh, Lorena Bobbitt and Amanda Knox. And should we tell them what I said to the lovely Lorena about it? You, you need to tell the people. Basically, Caitlin and I were so excited to meet them that we stayed after, or, you know, stayed after they actually spoke in order to go meet them. And I may or may not have told Lorena Bobbitt that I respected her and would have done the same thing if I was her. And she was so <laughs> Which, sweet. for those of you who don't know, she chopped off a, a penis of her um, rapist. So yeah. I actually would have done the same Abusive thing. And then rapist. she threw it out the window of a highway. <laughs> awesome. And she was so sweet, too. Like, she just laughed. Like... <laughs> oh, she was great. She loved it. She was like, ha, ha, thanks. Like, something like that. I was like, I love you. You're a hero. <laughs> she is a hero of the people. Yeah, that was super Hometown fun. Hometown hero. Yeah, so Steph was like, I need to come on your podcast. And I was like, Steph, you need to come on my podcast so we can talk about Mm -hmm. a a case. And Steph actually showed me this one, and I didn't really know anything about it until today. Um, So I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're going to talk about it at the end. Can't wait. All right, so this is the uh, case of Jeffrey McDonald and the murder of his family. Um, I guess a warning, it does involve, like, children dying and it's kind of rough, so if you don't like that, you can yeah. listen to a different episode. <laughs> yes, it is pretty sad. Yeah. All right. So Jeffrey McDonald, growing up, he's like the hot boy on the block. He's like the most popular guy in high school, captain of the football team, like senior class president, just the guy I would probably hate. <laughs> <laughs> he voted like, uh, most likely to succeed, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's basically like the guy that your mom wants you to date, but like <laughs> you, you probably hate, you know? Yeah. He wears like a Letterman <laughs> jacket and you're like, I hate this guy. <laughs> um, yes. He goes to medical school and then he joins the army and becomes a Green Beret captain and a doctor. So he's smart too. Yeah. Um, by 20. 20- yeah. And he went to. Like, just I know, I think he went to, like, Princeton and Columbia. So he Mm -hmm. went to, like, really good schools, too. Yeah, but he was a Green Beret, which I don't really know much about, but I think is, like, pretty intense or, like, high up. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly don't know much about that. But, um, yeah, I think it's, like, a good part, (laughs) you know, the Army. But I think he was, like, he was a surgeon for it. So I don't Mm -hmm. think he was actually doing anything, like, any fighting like, like he was a surgeon for the army yeah 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 um by 26 the oh wait hold on i missed a part so after high school he gets a scholarship to princeton which we said there we go and while he's there yeah uh he marries his high school sweetheart colette stevenson and by 26 the couple along with their two daughters kimberly who's five and Kristen, who's two moved to fort bragg north carolina just like an army base but i think anyone can move there okay let's go into the night of just what happens 
because this is kind of yeah. this is kind of a lot. We're going to be telling two different versions of yeah. This account first is what Jeffrey says happened, and then we'll get into yeah. what probably happened. Yeah, but one of the things that I really like about this case, because I want to talk about it, is because I feel like there are two completely different stories, mm -hmm. and the world seems very split on it. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of people that believe Jeffrey's side, and there's a lot of people that believe, like, the prosecution's side. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think it's important. Like, it's not always, I think, important to have to tell both sides, because one yeah. is clearly the truth, but for this one... I think because it's so split, I think it is important to talk about both. Yeah, I do too. And I mean, these ones are always fascinating because you don't, mm -hmm. when you just truly are like, huh, I don't know, and the world is so split, it just makes for a good conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's a horrible story, totally. but <laughs> um, yeah. 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 So on February 16th, 1970, uh, they're in their apartment. Colette is pregnant at the time, and two-year-old Kristen is asleep in uh, in Colette's bed in the master bedroom. Uh, Jeffrey tries to go to bed, and he finds that Kristen had wet his side of the bed in the master bedroom. So he brings her back to her own bed, and he goes to sleep on the couch. And then he's yeah, yeah. So just a couple of details on that was apparently. He, like, as a surgeon, he's working, like, multiple jobs, so he's mm -hmm. working, like, all the time, and got home really late, and so that's why, like, the daughter was already asleep in um. Colette's bed, because he had been out working. He comes home. Apparently, the daughter had been having, like, a bedwetting issue. Yeah. Um, like, it, it was had been known, and so he just moved the daughter back, and then supposedly, you know, because Colette's pregnant and tired, he doesn't want to have to change the sheets while she's sleeping. So then just decides to go sleep on the couch. Yeah. I know she's two years old, but it does make me wonder because I know bedwetting is like a sign of uh, abuse. Yeah. And young kids. Yeah, I did. I haven't done like a ton of research on mm -hmm. that, but I have, I did hear that. Yeah. I think there was some, some issues yeah. on to like why it was still mm -hmm. happening as well. And apparently Jeffrey, you know, was upset about it and, um, I don't know if you'll get to this, but like Colette was going to psychology mm -hmm. school. Um, and so she, that's what she had been talking about it at psychology school, yeah. kind of about this issue. So that's how people knew, but I bet you, I think it was like a discussion that had been had at home. Right. Um, and like, and they were trying to get to the bottom of why. Yeah. Yeah. So he brings her back to her own bed, sleeps on the couch. Then he's awoken by Colette shouting, Jeff, why are they doing this to me? And Kimberly is screaming, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. He opens his eyes on the couch and he sees four figures standing over him. A black man in a jacket with surgeon stripes on his sleeve and two white, man, two white men and a woman wearing a floppy hat over like blonde hair. And she's holding a flickering candle in front of her face. And is chanting, acid is groovy, kill the pigs. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so. Insanity. It, yeah. I mean, if, if this is true, simply wild. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is to note for like the listeners and stuff as Keelan said, this is in 1970. Mm -hmm. So it still is crazy. However, this was the time of acid. 
like when it was yeah. really becoming popular as a huge hippie problem. Yeah. It was only, it was less than a year after um, Sharon Tate and crew yeah. was murdered by the Manson family. So part of me says, okay, this isn't like too out of the ordinary. Like, you know, I mean, not, no, it is out of the ordinary, but like <laughs> not too, too far fetched because stuff like this had unfortunately happened. But then the other part of me is like, okay, that's a little convenient that it's only a few months after a murder that's pretty similar to, but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get to that, I'm sure. But either yeah. way, yes, it's not, it's a little bit less weird than it would be if it was to happen now, yeah. you know, I feel like, but still a very strange situation. Very strange. Jeffrey begins to get up and the black man hits him in the head with a club. Then he feels a sharp pain on the right side of his chest, and he looks down, and he sees an ice pick blade had been stabbed into him. He tries to wrestle the guys, and despite the fact that he's a Green Beret, they're still able to fight him and bring his pajama top over his head and onto his wrists. Um, So he has, like, his arms up, and the pajama top is holding his wrists together. I just did the Yeah, so I kind of imagine that. Like, that sounds weird to me, but I'm imagining... When I try to picture it, I guess mm-hmm. there's, you know, they're in a tussle. Somehow they get his shirt up and it's kind of like tied around his wrist, kind of like handcuffs. Yeah. yeah. You know, like if you were to handcuff someone with a shirt, like that's kind of how I'm imagining it. Like it's like stuck on his hands, apparently. Yeah. That's odd, but that's, you know, that's what I picture it as. And he's trying to fend them off, but they keep trying to stab him. And the black man keeps clubbing him. And finally he falls unconscious at the steps of the hallway that lead to the bedrooms. And when he comes to, he's on the stairs and he like stumbles to the master bedroom and finds Colette sprawled on the floor with the handle of the knife sticking out of her chest. He pulls the knife out and throws it aside and covers her body with his pajama top that he removed from his wrist at this point. And he tries to give her mouth to mouth. Which they they talked about this in my favorite murder, but like if you're stabbed, does mouth to mouth even work? Yeah. (laughs) No, that was the first thing I thought of when I heard that. Like, at first, I was like, oh, that's nice. He's trying to save her. You know, that's like the first thing you try to do. However, I feel like even me, like, let's say I was to walk in Mm -hmm. and like, my brother's over here. My brother was like, stabbed a million times and is bleeding everywhere. I feel like he'd look pretty clearly dead. And like, I probably realized mouth to mouth isn't going to like heal his wounds and bring him back to life. Especially though, this dude was a skilled surgeon. Right. Like, I feel like he would know. Like, I feel like if anything, it would have made more sense if he had started to like put pressure towards his the wound right. and like started doing something like mouth to mouth. Like, that's not like I, when we get to what, mm-hmm. you know, how she was murdered later, you're going to realize there was a lot of blood. Yeah. Like, it's not like, a, oh, she's just passed out with a stab wound. Maybe I could, like, I feel like it's pretty obvious that she's dead and mouth to mouth is not going to bring her back i agree um we'll move on to like the rest of the injuries so colette had been struck at least six times in the head with a blunt object this is we're explaining now how she was murdered um one of them causes a fracture to her skull she had nine deep knife wounds at the front of her neck seven deep knife wounds to her chest and 21 puncture wounds to her chest area her chest is also bruised from an object that looked like it had been thrust like into her chest, like someone hit her with something in the chest. 
And on the, mm-hmm. on the headboard of the master bedroom, someone had used one of their fingers to write the word pig in her blood. Full psycho. Kristen, who is two... Full psycho. <laughs> yeah, truly. Kristen, who's two years old, is found in her bedroom. She has 22 gaping knife wounds in her upper back, four wounds to her chest, and one to her neck. There's 15 shallow puncture wounds found on her chest, as well as multiple cuts on both of her hands. And then in her bed, Kimberly had been struck at least three times in the head with a blunt object, and her, her skull showed multiple fractures, and eight to ten deep knife wounds are found on the side of her neck. So Colette, Kimberly, and Kristen are all dead. And, like, brutally killed. Yeah. Like, this is not just, like, a, you know, bullet to the head, or, you know, or like a one simple. Like, these people were brutally killed. And anytime, like so many stab wounds. Anytime the lone survivor is the freaking dad, like, yeah, come on, <laughs> right? Because you think they would go for like the guy first mm-hmm. and like take care of him first. Where do you are you going to talk about what the theory was about why he wasn't murdered? No, but well, let's save that for yeah. yeah okay, because then that's the only thing mm-hmm. that I'm like could kind of make sense but without thinking of that theory it makes no sense like and and also the fact that like you know let's say they thought that that last like strike to the head that knocked him unconscious like killed him so then they went to the other folks why did he only get like bruises and like one stab and like a head and they each got stabbed like 50 times also, like the difference of the injuries is really interesting. And he woke up to Colette screaming, why are they doing this to me? So they had to like, what, walk right past him on the couch and just immediately go up to Colette. And then, yeah. Yeah, that makes no sense to me. And also like how he says, I woke up and they were in front of me. Like how, how did they get from beating Colette, her screaming, to him waking up and them being right on top of her and, like, holding the mm-hmm. candle, like, very, like, you can't just sprint from one True. room to the next and do that and, like... True. So that, yeah, it's very bizarre. Yeah. Um, when he wakes up, he finds them all dead and he calls the operator and he says... This is what he says to the operator. We've all been stabbed. People are dying. Which, on My Favorite Murder too, they were like, hello, that's your family. Like, it's people people like what it's so vague i feel like i you know it's like my family it's my wife my pregnant wife yeah like come you know like something like he literally just said and he says we've been stabbed we're like he really hasn't been stabbed he stabbed one time but it's okay but and just people are dying so bad what does that mean like it's so bad when the police arrive, they find Jeffrey McDonald laying with his arm around Colette in the master bedroom. So I guess he, like, called, and then he positioned himself next to her. Um, he, has mm-hmm. s- he had sustained bruising over his eye, a superficial stab wound in the arm, on his abdomen, on his abdomen, I can't say that word, <laughs> on his stomach, <laughs> in the form of an upside-down V, and several small puncture wounds were present on the upper left chest. But none of his wounds, like, required stitches. Yeah. Um, and a neat stab, clean stab wound was found located between two ribs on the right side of his chest and resulted in a collapsed lung. As they were leading him out in the ambulance, he was rushed to the medic- 
the medics, four of them, she kept saying, acid is groovy, kill the pigs. So ominous. Yeah, it's so crazy. And, like, so to be fair, right, like, he does, he did get beat up, clearly, right? So he does have, I guess, just compared to the others, it doesn't seem as bad. But just looking at him, like, yes, he, he got stabbed several times, and he had a collapsed lung. That's not good. All of it is not that serious, though, in the scheme of things. Obviously, no one wants to get stabbed or have a collapsed lung, mm-hmm. but, like, a lot of them were superficial, and the collapsed lung um, has a different story of, you know, apparently surgeons can like easily pick out the spot between the ribs where mm-hmm. it would be like an issue but not that bad of an issue if yeah. that makes sense so he found the spot that would like do damage but not like too much because he knew yeah yeah freaking hell okay uh, so by the time the sun came up the next day, the Army's Criminal Investigation Division, or the CID, they didn't believe his story for a second. Um, aside from his minor injuries, there were no signs of an ice prick, ice pick puncture on him, despite the fact that he said he had been stabbed by one. Also, there was a single fiber from his pajamas found in the living room where the struggle had ensued. And that's all they found, which is like... Yeah, just one fiber. Of his pajamas, like, what about the other people who were in the, like, you, how do you not find any trace of, like, someone else, four people being right. in the house? And apparently there was, like, no blood in that, mm-hmm. in the living room either, which this is apparently, so the reminder, this, the living room is where Jeffrey was stabbed and had this struggle. Apparently, yeah, all they found was one fiber of his pajamas, like, barely any blood maybe yeah. a little bit like some droplets like not a lot and yeah no no real other evidence mm-hmm. I guess they did have there was like one table kind of overturned and like a pot knocked yeah. over um you know you could play two sides to this story but a lot of people say that it looked staged mm-hmm. um and that they thought it would probably be like more bashed up if there was an actual struggle but yeah either way from yeah the single fiber and stuff it seems like there probably wasn't that big of a struggle that actually happened in the living room right um in the bedrooms there were dozens of his pajama fibers found too including some found underneath colette um others under kimberly's sheets in her bedroom and two more in Kristen's room and one is one of those is lodged under her fingernail and uh, like, let's not forget that he said he had stumbled in Colette's room first and took his pajama top off and put it on top of her and covered her with it. Right. So how right. would he have gotten pajama fibers in his daughter's room when he checked on them second? Right. Mm-hmm. So the pajama fibers to me, though, are a little bit, like, iffy. Like, mm-hmm. I think that they definitely look bad. For Jeffrey, because like as I said, there was barely any where this struggle apparently happened, and like his shirt was all up on his yeah. hands, and like, and there's no fibers there, but there's everywhere else and under his wife and mm-hmm. stuff. However, my other thought is like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I wear the same pajamas two nights in a row oh, or yeah. something. Like, what if you know this dude had just been wearing the pajamas the night before? Yeah and or a couple nights before and you know they were all up in his bed and in his room and 
you know, maybe his daughter giving him a hug had accidentally gotten a fiber. I guess I don't really know how easy it is to get a fiber on you. But so to me, that one, it seems, I think definitely, like I said, I think it looks, does look bad for him, but I wouldn't say that that is like enough evidence in my eyes to be like, oh, yeah, you know, also, you were, you know, he said he carried his daughter into the other room. So that could explain why um, he had like the fibros under her nails. Right, mm-hmm. right. Exactly. Like maybe that's just how that happened, you know? Mm-hmm. So about the CPR thing, he claims he performed CPR on all three of them, but none of their mouths, none of their mouths were open and his daughters were tucked into bed and lying on their sides. And like, he's a surgeon. That's not how you do CPR. Even I know that. Right. (laughs) And again, my, I'm going to go back to, I understand if you're like trying to bring them back to life or something, but like really CPR, that's the move. These people are clearly brutally murdered. As a surgeon, you think that's the move. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and it also goes on to keep, like, later, he like, continually is asking, like, apparently as soon as the medics get there and he's laying with Colette, he's like, how are my kids? How are my kids? And, like, part of me is, is says, oh, that's a good thing. He's, he's learning about his kids. But also he later says that he went and tried to give mouth to mouth to them. Which would prove you could tell immediately that these people are brutally murdered. Again, it's not yeah. like they're just passed down on the floor and you're like, maybe they're dead. No, they've been stabbed 50 times. Right. There's blood everywhere. If he had really gone to do mouth to mouth, he would know how the girls are. Yeah. So he wouldn't be saying, how are they? You, if your story is true, you would have gone in there and you would have noticed that they were clearly dead. Yeah. Um, he, re- he originally claimed he didn't wash up before making the call to the police, but there's no blood on the phone, and he's, he used, there's no blood on the phone that he used to make the call, but there was blood in the sink drain. Then the CID found a blood-smudged brand-new issue of Esquire magazine in the living room, and this goes back to what you were saying. There's an article in that magazine that details the drug-crazed hippies who murdered Sharon Tate just seven months before that. Um, according to investigators, the article contained 18 similarities of Colette and the girls, including the blonde who was can- carrying a candle. The, so the whole thing with like the 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 people that supposedly did this murder. Um, so I'll say just I think it's interesting. I I understand like the evidence of both sides. The first time I heard this story, I thought this dude was innocent. Whoa. The second time I heard it, I was like, oh hell no, he's way guilty. And now I, I personally think that he did it, but I still think there are a lot of discrepancies and mm-hmm. things that could have been done better. But when I first heard it, I was like, all right, this guy is describing these four people and he's describing them like in detail. Mm-hmm. Like he was talking about what they were wearing. He's talking yeah. about this girl. She said she was wearing a wig that he could tell it was like a wig with a floppy hat. And I'm like, if I was to be making up a murder in a murderer, like I'd probably be like, oh, he's in a black shirt and jeans. Yeah, or he was wearing a mask. And I don't he was know. A six, six, six foot white male. Like, does he have something like so generic? Yeah. So I was like, okay, it's almost too specific for him to make up. Mm-hmm. However, then when you hear that, and, and the, the candlestick, that was another one where I was like, that's so specific to make up. But when you hear that, okay, no, this this had kind of happened in a murder before that he had just been reading about. He 
I think he went into problem solving mode. Yeah. And I think he had, I think he had already read that um, article probably the night before or something. Yeah. And wasn't planning on copying it. But I think once we get into, I think he fucked up royally. Then he went back because there was blood, as he said, on the mm-hmm. magazine. I think then he went, like, read the details and was like, this is what I need to do. And I do, as you said, I think it's so damning that there's no blood on the phone. Like, you're yeah. saying you went, you, you held your wife, I'm sure. You tried to give her CPR. There was even blood on the magazine. All, and then you decided to wash your hands with that before you make yeah. a phone call to 911. Yeah. Like, and then they asked him, like, why did you wash your hands? And his reason was like, I, I, I'm a surgeon. I'm just used to it. And I'm like, you weren't doing surgeon procedures before that by, like, trying to give CPR to clearly dead bodies. Right. Like, I don't think you, that was your actual thought. Like, right. Oh, my hands are dirt. Like, no. Like, now your surgeon instincts kick in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I'm like, no fucking way. So they found the word pig that was written in the in blood on the headboard had been written using a surgical glove which was found in the house and all the weapons had come in from inside the house as well and then they were thrown into a bush right outside the house. <laughs> um many mistakes were made during the investigation though so they failed to seal off the crime scene 26 people had trampled through before it was secured. And the next day, they let the garbage man take the garbage away. Um, And they also found they allowed 40 sets of fingerprints to be destroyed, and a bloody footprint was lost in the process of trying to remove it and get that footprint. So based on all this, the military formally charges Jeffrey with the murders on May 1st, 1970. But then an 18-year-old drug addict hippie in town, known to the police as Helena Stokely, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. she was known to wear a floppy hat, a blonde wig with the same kind of look that he described, and she confesses that she and various people did the crime. She says, I was really high on mescaline and acid the other night. I think we were there. I remember this and that from it. Here are the three accomplices. I, th- accomplices. I think they were with me. But one of them turned out to be in jail while this was happening or something. And mm-hmm. she basically screws up the entire investigation. like. It's kind of hard because everyone owned a wig and a floppy floppy hat in the 1970s. Apparently, like that that was the style, I guess. Like, yeah, yeah, I guess Colette even had that. Yeah, Colette had it too. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. And Helena just seemed like you know unhealthy, like mental health problems. She seemed she was a drug addict, and this makes people start to doubt and question whether or not Jeffrey's actually guilty. And so based on this, the charges were dismissed the following October because of insufficient evidence. And a couple months after the murder charges were dropped, Jeffrey McDonald becomes like a famous uh, guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He appears on the late night program called the Dick Cavett show. And although his celebrity comes from the brutal murders of his family, he doesn't seem like he cares. He's, like, laughing on it. The audience is laughing. He's making jokes and, like, criticizing the military investigators. And uh-huh. he's so, like, charming and charismatic. He doesn't even care, like, how bad he looks. He's just being funny. And, like, right. he's, like, celebrating the fact that he got let off on this charge. Which is, like... Right. Do you have anything yeah. to say about the fact that your wife is and your kids are dead? 
right? So the only thing to play a little bit of devil's advocate is um, I heard apparently like the reason he went on that show was to talk about um, like the government and the uh, military's like negligence. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was the, like that, that was oh, a big I guess, topic at the time. So I guess they wanted him to talk about that. Right. Um, so, so I think it was more like the topic, the reason that he was on it was to talk about that and not about the murders. So that's what he was talking However, I still think that you would mention your family mm-hmm. and how horrible it was that they're murdered. Um, but, you know, and I guess, again, the other that devil's advocate is the reason why, you know, he was joking and laughing is, you know, one, people handle grief differently. Yep, I was going right? to say that. So you can never, like, mm-hmm. fully judge um, someone on how they act, like, after mm-hmm. something happens, after a tragedy, because everyone handles it differently. So maybe that was his way of trying to deal with it, of just being funny and, like, keeping his mind off of it and trying to be charming um, and, like, not have the focus be on his murder family. But again, I just think it's odd. And I think it's very odd that he was even going on talk shows. And again, people grieve differently. However, this was only like a year later. Yeah. Like if my whole family was brutally murdered, I don't know if I'd even be ready to talk about it mm-hmm. in a year. Like let alone be on a talk show and making jokes yeah. and like smiling and, you know. So I just think he he definitely seemed to take to the fame. Right. Um, and, you know, he like moved. Uh, he moved immediately as you said and he moved out to like California and bought like a nice house and had like a sports car and, like he had, like a boat and like he definitely seemed to be relishing and like the fame and the money oh yeah yeah um and what's good about that show is that Colette's mother and stepfather were like fully in support of Jeffrey until they saw that and once the tra- mm-hmm. charges were dropped they like he starts acting like kind of weird and Alfred realizes that Jeffrey had like lied to him about a lot of things and so Alfred becomes like his own kind of investigator and finds everything that went wrong with the trial transcripts he searched the house himself and with him and the formation of the CID reinvestigation they indict Jeffrey and like you said by then he was he was living like a lavish life in California as a civilian doctor like you know boats and girlfriends and everything and then in 1974 jeffrey is brought before the grand jury in north carolina and he's indicted on all three counts of the murder in 1975 in the trial that lasted over six weeks the government introduced a thousand evidence items in the trial and helena the bond girl that we discussed was like i wasn't there i don't know what happened and denied everything and she's later diagnosed with schizoid personality so Jeffrey is convicted of all three counts of murder in less than seven hours. Yeah. So now we'll get into like what probably happened. This is like based on like some web sleuths. They kind of put together a possible theory on what could have happened because Jeffrey's still pleading innocent. Um, and this, right. Yeah. The, the 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 prosecution also like came up with what they think actually happened. So I think it's partially like web sleuths, mm-hmm. but also. Um, is because of all the the blood so they didn't have yes. like, like the same dna testing that we did that we do now but they were able to um trace all the different blood and one really interesting thing is all four members of the mcdonald family had different blood types which is which apparently is like a medical anomaly yeah 
So that made it really easy to be able to tell whose blood was who and to kind of put together a story. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so based on the, that plus a couple other things is pretty much where they get yeah. the story that we'll tell now. Yeah, so in the early mornings of February 17, 1970, Colette and Jeffrey get into a heated argument in the master bedroom. Jeffrey at the time was taking um, amphetamines to lose weight, which is like basically meth. Um, and he hadn't slept for at least 24 hours. In the previous weeks, Colette had been upset that Jeffrey was planning on leaving for a long time to be the doctor for the army boxing team, even though he, she was having a difficult pregnancy and was going to night school for psychology. So she was kind of pissed. And he was like the kind of guy where like, I think him staying at home to take care of the kids in the house while his wife was at school was like not okay with him. And the issue with the daughter wetting the bed, like you said, was like a big deal and he was really pissed about it. So people think that when, or the even the prosecutors think that when mm-hmm. he found that she had peed his side of the bed, he got really pissed and he snapped or something. Yep. Um, at some point, Jeffrey punches Colette in the face and this is based on blood evidence and the fibers from his pajamas. Colette grabs a hairbrush, hits Jeffrey above his left eye, which would account for his eye injury. They wrestle, and Jeffrey's pajama top gets torn in multiple places, and then he hits Colette in the face a second time and grabs a wooden club, which is a piece of the wood holding up a corner portion of the master footboard. So that's what they think the blood object in this is. He grabs it and hits her in the head with it, and hits her with it in the chest, and that was the chest bruise injury she had Mm -hmm. then kimberly enters the room and jeffrey turns around and hits her with the club on the left side of her face colette then screams jeff why are you doing this and this part is interesting it she screams it so loud he thinks maybe the neighbors might have heard it so he includes it in his story which we talked about earlier in case they did hear it so the jeff why are they doing this is just like could be explained uh just so so well thought out creepy so scary then kimberly falls onto the floor near the entrance of the master bedroom which we know because her blood was found in that area then colette grabs a knife from her side table and she slashes jeffrey's stomach resulting in the injury that he had and then jeffrey retaliates with two blows with the club to colette's head knocking her unconscious then Jeffrey strips the bed, picks up Kimberly, who is unconscious, and carries her back to her bedroom, places her in a sleeping position, and leaves those 14 pajama f- fibers we talked about while he does that. And a 20.5-inch yarn of his bedsheet is found on top of Kimberly's pillow. And he wasn't supposed to, be, he wasn't supposed to have his pajamas on at this point, because he had checked on Colette first and placed his pajama top on top right. of her. Um, He then uses the club to strike Kimberly with two blows on the right side of her face, and when he does that, he casts blood onto the ceiling, and that blood had both Kimberly and Colette's blood mixed in. So we know he hit Colette first. Then he covers Mm -hmm. Kimberly in her blanket and bed covers. He gets a knife from the kitchen, and he leaves behind tiny traces of blood all over the kitchen, and the pattern shows he was pacing in the kitchen, like, in a panic. So this seems like it's not a premeditated thing. Um, then he goes into Kristen's room and he stabs her in the chest as she lays in her bed. The wounds indicate that Kristen was probably sleeping at this point and her pajama top 
the wounds indicate had been lifted before she was stabbed. And the position of the wounds showed that it was almost as if she was trying to, like, as if he was trying to identify locations of, like, vital organs um, that a surgeon would know. At some point, she wakes up to try and shield herself, and because of that, the pajama fiber is found under her fingernail, and, he, and then he stabs her in the back and places her back in a sleeping position um, into her bed. He exits the room with the bed sheets to wash them, but he hears Colette stagger into Kristen's room, follows her in with the club, and hits her in the face. She places her arms in front of her face in an attempt to ward off the blows, which is why her arms are bruised. And she gets hit twice more. Then he sets the club down on Kristen's bed, which is why there are traces of Kimberly's blood on the bed, because he had hit Kimberly with it. And then after all of this, he goes into the living room, reads the Esquire article. There's blood on that article, so we know that he had gone down and done that after. And the blood on that article belonged to Colette and Kimberly. He reads the article, then he tosses the glasses aside, his glasses aside. And they land under the window in the living room. And we know this because on those glasses, there is a mark of Kristen's blood. Then he tips over the living room coffee table to show there has been a struggle. So then he uses the bedspread to take Colette's body back to the master bedroom. And in the process, leaves three bloody footprints in Colette's blood as he leaves Kristen's room. And they can tell he was carrying something heavy, by the way. The footprints are, like, indented in the carpet. He puts Colette on the master bedroom floor and unknowingly sets her body down on 24 pajama fibers underneath her body. He hits her in the head again and then goes into Kimberly's room with the knife and inflicts more of her injuries, then takes the ice pick into Kristen's room, inflicts more wounds on her. Then he goes back in and stabs Colette in the chest and neck with the knife and then stabs her 21 times after he had put down his pajama top on top of her. And when prosecutors were in court, they were able to show that the way the pajama top was laid down was able to match the 21 stab marks. He, had, he said the 21 marks were there because he was fending off blows from the attackers. So then he walks back to the door with the weapons, tosses them into the bush, goes back into the master bedroom, uses the surgeon glove to write the word pig on the headboard of the master bed. There are three fibers from the pajamas found near the left corner of the footboard and one found by the headboard. Then he grabs a disposable scalpel blade from the hallway closet, stabs himself in the right side of the chest, then gathers himself and calls the police at 3.40 a.m. So that's what they put together, <laughs> which is just so much. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. He kept having to go back and forth and back and forth, like hitting and stabbing, and it's insane. Right. So, yeah, just for anyone listening that's interested in this case, there's so much information about it like you could mm-hmm. talk about it for several different um podcasts and stuff um episodes but there's a lot of like detail if you want to know about like you know how they put that those chains of events together yeah um you can definitely do more research on that I don't think we have the time to talk about it but you know as Kate like went over quickly it's like mm-hmm. with the blood and the footprints and like and the thing that, like, is so crazy and, like, shows, like, how meticulous he is, that, like, when he throws off the glasses, like, once he realizes that he needs to stage it, like, the fact that there's blood Christians on that already proves, like, there's no way if it was a tussle and his glasses got thrown off, he, there would be no blood on it. Yes. So it's, like, little things like that that, that are just, like, so damning, um, but yeah, there's just so much evidence and so mm-hmm. much detail 
that is just that's again why it's one of like my favorite cases um yeah yeah like Steph said I'm I'm not really getting into like the nitty-gritty because we would be here all night so like definitely do your own research um Jeffrey McDonald is now 68 and he remarried and he's still in prison he has never wavered from his claim that he never murdered his wife or children he will never apply for parole because that would require an omission of guilt uh, even though he is eligible, and he won't be eligible for release until the year 2071, and he's, like, still fighting for a retrial. So that's the the rundown. And, Seb, I'm, like, so intrigued why you thought that he was innocent at first, because I was like, this guy's mm-hmm. guilty as hell. Yeah. No, I think it's so interesting. And, and first of all, it's definitely how people tell the story, mm-hmm. right? Like, we've learned that. Um, but there were a few things that weren't mentioned that right. made me think of his innocence. So the first one for me, the biggest was, you know, he describes this girl, blonde, yeah. big, floppy hat. Turns out while the cops were on the way to the McDonald house after they got that call mm-hmm. that, um, you know, people were dying at that McDonald house. They drove by a girl on like, a oh. street corner wearing a blonde wig and a floppy hat. And they didn't stop to see what she was doing because they, they were going to the McDonald's house. You know, they had somewhere to be, somewhere important. And they never did any more research on that. Some cops, the leader said that. Oh my they God. saw this girl. In my mind, I'm like, there's this girl at like four in the morning. And first of all, like, why did they not stop just to, like, see if she was okay? I felt mm-hmm. like that was just odd. But I'm like, that seems too coincidental to have, like, a random girl in, this, in a floppy hat. Like, why are you wearing a hat at four in the morning? There's no yeah. sun. Yeah. And, like, out randomly by herself. I'm like, why did they not do more research on that? Right. Um, so, that was, and so that was just really sketchy to me. Um, and then the other thing was, so, you know, he, Jeffrey was a doctor, he's a surgeon, and apparently he had a reputation of not um, wanting to give drug addicts this particular, like, particular methamphetamine or something, I'm mm-hmm. forgetting. I guess it's supposed to help, like, wean them off of the drug. Mm-hmm. Um, you give it to them in small doses, and he didn't want to do that. He had he preferred to put them in basically like a rehab of sorts or something. And so I guess a lot of like the drug addicts and drug dealers were really pissed off at him oh, okay. for not just giving him the, giving them the drugs. Um, so the theory of like the defense is that these, he, they dealt with, I guess, a lot of drugs, you know, cause they said seventies, a lot of people are doing a drug. So they dealt with a lot of like drug overdoses and a lot of people with like PTSD, which mm-hmm. was on the base, you know, would use these drugs to cope. Um, so I guess he, he's constantly dealing with like drug addicts right. and um, I guess had a bunch of people that didn't like him because of his lack of drug giving. And so they, their theory is that there was this group of folks that, were really pissed off at him and wanted to teach him a lesson. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to go and fuck up his family um, and either not kill him or maybe even like, so, you know, so that he had suffered the consequences of no family also maybe have him look a little bit guilty. Um, so it's more of them sending him a message of, you know, 
if you fuck with us, we'll fuck with your family kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so that, and then the other thing was Helena Stokely, as you said, you know, she it said that she thought she might be there. Um, and then she ends up later, you hear throughout the years, she admits, or supposedly admits to several people that she was there during yeah. the murder. Yeah. So she tells her friends, she tells her mom, she told her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Apparently what her boyfriend told a couple of people also that he was there and that he was one that committed the murder, right. like one of the few. So the fact that, and in, in my mind, I'm like, if this girl had absolutely nothing to do with this, like, why would she be telling people that she did? Like, yeah. what in the world? And did she you perfectly get out matches it. She perfectly matches the description. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, kind of when I first heard those things, and um, you know, when Helena Stokely then came on during trial, and as you said, she said she had nothing to do with it. Allegedly, you know, who knows. Who was telling the truth? But apparently, the prosecutor like threatened her and was like, "Oh, um, if you if you say that you did this, like we're, we'll make sure that you go to jail for life." Basically. Oh my god! And what what would make you want to say that if you if you knew you're going to go to jail? So I guess she wanted to, you know, some sort of like immunity. Holy and f- if she spoke and um. Apparently, and so that's why she went up and was like, I, yeah. I have no clue what you're talking about. So there are different, um, you know, like I said, theories. And I think that's what makes it really interesting. And I think also just the fact of how poorly the crime scene was handled. Like you said, they had 26 people right. like, in before they even blocked it off mm-hmm. at the crime scene, which I guess during the like the 70s that actually was yeah that's common too abnormal yeah so i get that but there, it just seems also like they didn't test all the dna mm-hmm. so everything that they found there was like different fingerprints and hairs found in the house that were never tested yeah which i think is just crazy and like the prosecution's explanation of it is which is makes sense also they're like you know there's people it's a house. People are in and out of it all the time. There's going to be their neighbor's fingerprints. There's going to be, you know, friends and there's going to be hairs from them. And yeah, so it could be anyone. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. However, what if it was a murderer's hair? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. apparently there was a synthetic blonde hair found in okay. the apartment. And so to me, I'm like, what? The? But then the prosecutors say it was probably from one of the girl's dolls. You're like literally so making things me, like that. You're making me like not think he's guilty anymore. So I'm there's so <laughs> me- there's so much to it. Yeah, there is. Yeah. So like I said, that that's why I still am not one thousand percent. And I also just think one of the biggest things is the fact that, you know, so he's applied for like um retrials and stuff, millions and for different right. evidence that's tested so many times. However, the fact that he's won't get off on parole which means you literally like you could get out of jail and you're choosing not to only because you don't want to say that you did it like that to me speaks volumes because if you have the ability to get out 
and like you're going to be known for this anyways like it's not like you know you like you're already known as the guy who potentially killed his family I feel like by you saying it isn't going to like affect your job or like anything like that moving forward right right. so why not just say you did it and so in my eyes I'm like if he, he must he's really really adamant that he's innocent which yeah. makes me, which has made me second guess it, you know? I'm so glad you came on and, like, gave more facts <laughs> that I yeah. did a brief of. Because, yeah, I guess, like, the research I did was, like, very, a little biased, kind of. Like, it yeah. really painted him. And that just, you know, goes to show you, where you get your research and everything. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, I, like, when I get into certain mostly just anything in life but especially like a particular yeah. crime I'm interested in I go and I listen to podcasts and stuff on like both sides yeah so I've listened and watched there's one one on um unresolved mysteries mm-hmm. I think is where like I first saw this or something um so it's just like a, there's a ton of information out there that shows both sides and there's like websites and like groups dedicated to his innocence and there's groups dedicated to you know, keeping him yeah. in jail. So there's just a ton. Um, and then there was something else. There. Oh, and the fact that there was never any like domestic violence in his True. house ever. They never fought. There, yeah, that's there what Amber never said. been any. Yeah, no fighting. So, you know, to me, it's um, like it was really hard to believe where I'm like, okay, yeah, people can snap, but do you really snap from like never arguing to like, stabbing each of your family members like 50 times right that seems aggressive clear well aggressive is an understatement (laughs) um so yeah those you know um i've been trying to see those are like pretty much the the big things Mm -hmm. that made me like unsure about it um and then you know like apparently never called colette or excuse me, not Colette, um, Helena Stokely, like, to the stand, even in, like, the future. Um, oh, like, the people that she had told that she did it, they wanted to bring her them on the stand. But after Helena said she didn't do it, they were like, we're not going to bring the people on the stand because what's the point? She just said no. So, like, why would we bring mm-hmm. these people on? She's not credible. Clearly, they're not going to be credible. Which I'm like, I get, but also at the same time, like, I feel like the jury should be able to, right. like, make the decision of who's credible and who's not. Yeah. Like, basically, the, the judge decided, like, we're not going to see those people, those other witnesses that she yeah. apparently told, because this girl like, keeps flip-flopping on her story. Clearly, she's not credible, so, like, it doesn't matter if she told them or if she didn't. Mm-hmm. So, like, again, I get that part of it but at the same time i feel like they should still should have put them on the stand and let the jury decide like he's i agree the truth and he's not i agree you gotta like so get yeah all points. So, yeah but i think that, that and then the fact that yeah you know she said multiple times she said it on interviews apparently her mom came on later and said that it was her daughter's like one of the daughter like helena's last things that she said before she died was that jeffrey was innocent mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so there's just a lot that just makes it confusing. Yeah, I think. we highly, it's not as clear cut. highly encourage you to do your own research. Okay, so you like explained why you think he may not Uh-oh. have done it, and we mm-hmm. want we want to get into now why he did right. Unless you have anything, yeah, 
else? Yeah. So basically to, you know, summarize what I was saying before was there were several different elements that made me think or maybe question that maybe he actually was innocent. Main thing being um, the floppy hat yeah. girl that was seen that night that no one questioned. Um, the Helena Stokely admitting it not and not like on camera in an interview she did an interview yeah and also to several people where again I'm just kind of like why would you do that um also the fact that he you know maintained his innocence the whole time and just that they like botched the crime scene in a lot of ways yeah so those are like my like main things for why I thought maybe he could be innocent however there were also a lot of different things that I thought made it really sound like he uh, did do it. Um, one of the biggest things was like we've mentioned before, but was the living room, like where right. he supposedly was, you know, attacked by these four people. Holy shit, I'm gonna One of my sound. biggest things is I'm like, if he really was attacked, just to basically like his shirt and where all the different holes were and all stuff doesn't make any sense. There was not really any blood again found in the living room and no fiber uh, like only one single fiber of his pjs yeah. and it just and not a lot of like destruction like just that part of it like that crime scene just doesn't add up to what the rest of the house looks like yeah and so that just that like that doesn't make sense to me wait so what was the what was the reason they gave for not uh for not harming him but killing his family oh uh was that they you know the defense said that it was the drug addicts trying to send him a message uh, by not killing him and just killing the rest of his family however At one point when Helena Stokely was giving an interview, she said that, and again, like, I I don't take everything that she says, um, you know, to heart, because it is true that she was an extremely addicted girl, like, like on many, you know, heroin, meth, like, and then, as you said, you know, schizo personality disorder. So everything she says has to be taken with a grain of salt anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, But she had said that, they the purpose of them going over was to send a message and like mess with them but their intent was never to kill the family right but somehow it just turned into that but my thought is like how like how does that happen whether it's a bunch of acid heads coming over and all of a sudden just end up slaughtering a family yeah or you know like in and also, if you're on acid, I'm pretty sure, like, that seems like, it's like a, a lot of effort. It's also, like, not a drug. I don't think it's a drug that makes you, like, violent, right? Isn't, I mean, I've never done acid, personally. I haven't either. So, I, I don't think so. I think it's, like, kind of <laughs> lovey and it makes you happy and. Yeah. But so yeah, there's there's okay. So I'm I've got a list of things here written out. Let me mm-hmm. see. So um, the other things that made me think that he possibly was guilty. So one of the things that when I when they first 
were talking about the case. All they said was that he was on diet pills. Yeah. They're like, he was on diet pills, and those are what might have messed with him. And I'm like, okay, a diet pill isn't going to make you, you know, go crazy or anything. But apparently it was actually some sort of, like, amphetamine, like, which is a diet pill, but it also, like, some of the side effects are, like, No, back then, like, like, speed was the diet pill. Like, they would take, like, meth and speed. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it was, like, a form of meth, basically. Mm -hmm. So when they said diet pill, again, it's just kind of, like, how you hear it. When I heard diet pill, I was like, no diet pill is going to make you go crazy. Well, it's basically meth. Mm -hmm. So, like, that can definitely, and so... And they talked a little bit about he basically had been up for like 36 hours straight. Yeah. And was working two jobs and on mess. So <laughs> it under, like, at first, I was like, this dude, there's no reason this dude would have just like randomly snapped. He's got no domestic violence in his past or anything. However, when you put all those factors together, it's like, it makes it a lot more plausible and possible because I'm like you know there's been times where I've been up all night and I slept like crap and like the littlest things can make me so mad yeah oh yeah not mad enough for me to slaughter someone but like yeah you know like it it, sh- it makes a lot more sense for probably like the state of his mind and well-being you know that he had drugs in his system he was super sleep deprived and um you know and one of the side effects of the the mess aka diet pill like whatever you want to call it is you know psychosis and um just a lot of there's a list but it's like it can literally kind of make you go crazy also he might have been like so so that made a lot more sense he might have been like so tired he like wanted nothing more than like crash in his bed and then he sees like his daughter pissed his bed and he just like exactly and so apparently like it's like i said mentioned before apparently that was already like a point of contention in the marriage yeah was the peeing of the bed so it's like he's already just mad that the girl's still peeing the bed then gets home well, all he wants to do is sleep he's so tired mm-hmm. and then the reason he can't sleep is because she pees the bed right so then you know the, the story is that's when that's why they started fighting was kind of like he yeah. was like what the hell why is she still why is she sleeping with you and why is she still peeing the bed and then that's kind of what started the argument. Um, and then another way that someone told it was, because then I'm like, okay, if you accidentally kill Colette, like, why would he go and just randomly kill his two daughters, too? That mm-hmm. seems crazy. That, well, all of it does. But um, someone was telling an interesting story, where interesting way, where basically when he was hitting Colette with the, like, big wooden rod or whatever it was, that the daughter may have come in right. she was hearing the noise and that he might have swung back to like hit Colette oh. and actually hit her yeah so then and and who knows what the, I mean sounds like the way he was swinging at Colette with a small girl like one blow could have killed her and then he's you like know? or <laughs> and then at that point but he's then, like shit like why the stab wounds okay. after so then I think um so then he killed Colette and was it was Kimberly the older one? Yeah, uh, Kristen. Kimberly was the five. Older one. Yeah, Kristen was two. Yeah. So then he acts. I think this is what I maybe think that he accidentally hit Kimberly, and maybe or not that killed her right away. But then you know he realized that she witnessed, if anything, him killing her mom, and that's the witness to put it on him. So he's got to get rid of her. And then at that point, 
he realized that's what I think he was pacing. I think he was making the decision. Okay. Do I, what do I do now? What do I do with the little one, little Kristen? And I think that's when he decided I have to kill her in order to make it look like we were attacked. Mm -hmm. And then I think all the stab wounds were because he was trying to make it look like they were actually attacked. Um, And one of the interesting things was, you know, with, Kristen I believe was the youngest with her you know he he from what it said the stab wounds weren't through the shirt Listen yeah up he lifted it up. And I think he did that to make sure because at that point you know she was completely innocent and um and he was making sure he was getting anything he decided to kill her he was making sure he was getting he the vital to organs to yeah so yeah. one of the podcasts was saying something about how maybe they thought they had heard or thought that like Kristen was his favorite um mm-hmm. because interesting I don't Colette got pregnant with Kimberly when he was only a sophomore in college uh-huh. which is the reason why he had to marry Colette yeah um, you know they were pregnant and then got married so in my mind I was like maybe he holds some resentment against Kimberly too because she she was unplanned I heard um, that he and was... really loves the little one I heard that he was having affairs throughout the marriage, too. That he was. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was another thing, finding that out. I was like, okay, this guy was definitely not as, like, perfect as he seemed. He was having many affairs. Um, and, yeah, so he's just not a good guy. So I thought maybe then, yeah, I think the third one was, like, he just had to finish the job and make it look like someone else had done it and and i think they're all I, in my mind i don't know this but i think most of them were dead before he went and found the additional weapons and came back and stabbed right them. and made it look more um, like an attack yeah. yeah i think he killed them with just you know the first two at least with just like blunt force trauma and then uh, the one weapon but my also thing is so they were all the weapons, as you mentioned, were in the house. In the house. So that, to me, was huge on why it was him. Because if you're really going over and you're planning on messing people up, even if you're not planning on killing them, if you're planning on beating someone up or doing... You're going to bring at least a weapon of your own. Right, you're breaking into like, someone's one, house. Yeah, you're going to bring your own weapon. And you're not going to throw them in the bush outside the house when you're done. Like, right outside the house. Yeah. Like, clearly, he just tossed them, and they're all within, like, 10 yards of each other. And the, the magazine... Like would- yeah, the magazine thing, too, is what gets me also. How the, the situation he described was in a magazine he just read, and there was there uh-huh. blood on it. So he was, like, panicking, right, trying so to... clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that he, you know, threw, he threw out the weapon, like, again, if, if it was let's just say, you know, four people that came over, there's no way they would show up on acid with no weapons, mm-hmm. find these wild weapons in their house, also put on gloves, because there's no fingerprint, right? Put on gloves and, like, do all this stuff, and then toss the weapons as you're leaving, like, right off the house. Like, you're definitely going to take them with you if you just brutally murder three people. You're going to take them and throw them in a river or something yeah you're not gonna not leave them there in your own. yeah um so just and then the one of the big things for me was you know you mentioned at the beginning but if you remember you were saying it's, it's just 
it was like a perfect setting for a crime night that it was a crazy storm that night. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, this was part of it though, that they messed up the crime scene, but they didn't mention anything about seeing like wet footprints or yeah. muddy footprints yeah. in yeah. the place where I'm like, if you're coming in and you're from the rain, you're definitely going to leave some sort of track. Right. And there was no, no like rain track or mud track left anywhere. Yeah. I, I was, when I, when I was listening to a podcast about this, it, they said it was like raining really hard. So there would be something. Yeah. And I think that they, the crime scene people really messed that up because I think they probably, they haven't made that as big of a deal as it could be because so many people were in the house after what before marking at a crime scene. So they might have created muddy footprints or something, but I think that was something they could have still been able to say, like being able to see, mm-hmm. you know, rain and stuff all over the place. Um, or some dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, so I think there's just a lot there's just a lot of different things as well, but when it comes down to it, oh, this was the last thing was, uh-huh. I forget if we mentioned this. I don't think that we did, but, you know, Colette's parents were on Jeffrey's side for, yes. like, for a while after. They were literally, like, standing by him, by his innocence. They loved him like a son. They were like, he would never do this to Colette. Yeah, we, we, um, we touched on that a little bit. And then, yeah. then his, the stepfather after how he was behaving right. afterwards so it wasn't until right so yeah. it wasn't until jeffrey moved away which they didn't want him to do they wanted him to stay close by i think they still considered him a son you know didn't want to lose the whole family and he was like i need to start over so he moved from north carolina i think up to new york and then out to california mm-hmm. so they were already irritated by that irritated by the talk show host appearances and then Jeffrey, like, in his mind, was getting hounded by the dads a lot still, just, like, asking questions. Like, basically, in his mind, like, couldn't get over the fact that his daughter and grandbabies were murdered, where Jeffrey had clearly moved on. So he's getting all this until finally Jeffrey tells the stepfather and says, by the way, I, me and some other Green Berets have found the killer and we went out and we, we took care of them. We killed him. So don't worry about that anymore. Yeah. I, re- I remember hearing that too. So, he, so he, he tells him and then comes out later when asked about it and was like, yeah, that was obviously a lie. I just wanted to like get him off my back. Yeah. Is what he said. And then, and then later tried to correct himself in like a nicer way and was like, I was really just trying to like, you know, fill a void in his heart. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, no, you were, you were trying to move on with your life because you were loving your fame and your money and you were over your family being murdered. And you just wanted him off your back. Even And like, if you knew who the murderer was, then you would have said something, but no, you like, you didn't because it's, yeah. Where does that even come (laughs) from? You didn't know who the murderer was. Like you, you described them to police and they, couldn't fake like they couldn't hardly find them yeah but all but somehow him and his dream brave bros right. were able to and, and killed him and took care of him and just told the dad that just 
to get him to off li- his back. He literally admitted it, like, just to get him off his back. That is, like, not something you tell a victim's dad. No, it's just, and, like, the fact that I'm, like, if you were really that sad about your family being murdered, like, you would, you wouldn't be so, like, offended that your father-in-law keeps calling. Right, and, like, you would probably really want to talk this. to him about it, too. Yeah, you probably also want to continue to look for the killers and stuff. You wouldn't be yeah. over it and and being like, I just want to get them on my, off my back. Yeah, I took care of it. Move on with your life. Like, no, that's not how someone asks who's had their family murdered. Again, I said yeah. everyone reacts differently to grief. No one would do that. And that's the thing. It's like, okay, maybe he's just like a narcissist or just like, you know, mental problems. But it just kind of like when he has that attitude, it just makes for it just makes him look more guilty right so. so when it comes down to it there's there's like a list of mm-hmm. like actual like you know like real like facts like looking at the crime scene and stuff that you could like go through um but when it comes down to it i i do in the end feel that he's like a narcissistic right. and um i think that when it comes to the innocence part where i said i still think it's it says something that he won't go out on parole because of he yeah. wants to maintain his innocence. I think at this point, it's 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 a narcissism thing. That, that like could I think very it's well less be. than an innocence thing. I think it's an I think it's narcissistic. That could very well be the reason. Yeah. So there's a ton, but like I said, I think. Um, I do remember. This is sorry. I'm hopping back. I remember at one point they they showed they like apparently they went through like hundreds of people that matched. The description that he gave of the four people and apparently they showed one of them that was like fit the description perfectly of all the people um but jeffrey said it wasn't them and i remember in my mind at first i was like dang he really must be innocent because he could have easily just pinned that right. on someone right. and been like yeah that definitely looks like them like got the attention off of him but there was some weird, I'd have to look back. There's some weird story about how he, like, knew them, kind of. But he, like, spent some time at the beach with them. I don't really know. Something really weird that probably makes no sense. But uh, but either way, when it comes down to it, I think there's overwhelming evidence that, one, that there was no one else really in the house. Yes. And that I think, I think this is, like, a huge example of, like, the show snapped. <laughs> like, I think this dude fully just, snap right i really do i mean he did have a lot like working against him in the moment drugs you know he not that he was having well he was having marriage problems he was cheating on her and he was annoyed with his kids so i don't know like i'm a big person who believes in like i don't care if i think you did it like we still need the evidence like you you know the scott scott and lacey peterson case yeah yeah like i think he did it but there is not enough evidence for him to be in jail right now a hundred percent they're just right and with this it's hard because like i think there is a lot of evidence against him but there also which you just explained is like there also is a good amount that may show that he probably didn't do it so it's right like i do think he did but i think they're just you just need a lot of evidence for this right no i totally agree and again that's why i think it's really interesting um 
you know, he's actually, he's been like in and out of jail too. Like he, when he went, when he finally got sentenced to life, he ended up getting let out for two years because they said that um, they denied his right to a speedy trial. And so he's um, let out for two years and then the motion was denied and then he went back in jail. So it's like, this is crazy situation where I'm like, I feel like no one like fully knows one way or the other. Yeah. Um, I mean, also, I'm like, you know what? I think he did it. And I think he yeah. should be thankful that he had those years out of jail. Also, we talked about what I mentioned earlier, like the, the prosecutors had a thousand pieces of evidence against him. And I think if it's, you know, that's not a coincidence. So I, right. I want to trust the prosecutors had like knew what they were doing and the jury knew you know, made the right decision because I also cannot yeah. stand like I've I'm like really passionate about like false um imprisonment and oh me too especially me too. the death penalty like which Scott Peterson was on mm-hmm. and he recently got off but he should not have been on and yeah right well one one thing that brings me comfort too is also I think um, Jeffrey McDonald was on um, trial for six or seven weeks and it only took the jury six or seven hours right. to come to the guilty verdict which makes me so like i think they definitely had overwhelming evidence yeah and um there's actually an entire site dedicated to this case it's literally like jeffrey mcdonald mm-hmm. or something so anyone interested in reading more of the facts should check that out because i think on that site too it shows a lot more of like Again, the actual factual evidence. I think the blood types were huge. Yeah. In that, um, and the blood that was like on him that, you know, wouldn't have been on him if he hadn't done it, kind of stuff like that. Him washing his hands, that is just ridiculous to me. But I think they have like an actual, like a lot of facts and like DNA and stuff like that listed on that site. So anyone should definitely check that out if they're interested yeah like we mentioned we <laughs> we would be here all day if we honestly did a huge deep dive oh yeah we would make like a series yeah. <laughs> i we i mean you honestly could and there's there's been movies and books written mm-hmm. about this case any sort of fatal vision um, yes that's a movie and then there's a couple several books written about him um one interesting thing was actually this um journalist got was able to interview him in jail and got the access to interview him by and they basically came to an agreement that they were going to interview him about the case and then write a book claiming his innocence turns out he interviewed him for years like three years or something Mm -hmm. turns out writing this book and basically said that he thinks he's a narcissistic sociopath right uh he ended up getting he ended up getting sued by Jeffrey and because it was like that's not what they agreed on and and he, oh. he ended up getting like one like three hundred and seventy five thousand dollars or something. That's literally um, something a narcissistic sociopath would do. Like right? relax, dude. <laughs> yeah. So I want to read. Like, there's so many books I want to yeah. read and stuff, but there's a lot of info out there. Um. But yeah, I thought that was a telling point too, where like this dude got to talk to him for like three years. And still, and the point of it was to show his innocence. And he came and out. And he decided that, that, against it, and yeah. he published it, saying that he was guilty. It's pretty telling, right? Yeah. 
But yeah, it's definitely, definitely an interesting case. Um, I think there's a lot of info on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, it's so much better now in like the 2000s with, right. I think hopefully we're better at like, you know, concealing crimes and with the DNA and stuff. I don't think he would have been as in and out of jail as he was, but at least I think it's a good thing that he's in there now. Right. Um. Thank you so much for talking about this because you really are the the expert on this case. And like, no, it's yeah. been so good. I feel like it wasn't just on me to like give facts. Like you really came through and gave different perspectives. Like it's been really great. Yeah, it was so fun. I love it. And mm-hmm. I've got many more I'd like to talk about. Yeah. If you need need any more guests, I'm here. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you on social media? You can do a little TTT promo if you want. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. You know, I love that. As my uh, Gobloop fam knows, you can find me on my Instagram <laughs> at, <laughs> at a ticket to taste. It is my food and travel blog, and I post all about like local restaurants in the DMV area, and then also everywhere I travel. So again, that's a ticket to taste. I'm also on Facebook, and I have a blog too, but I'm uh, most active on Instagram. Yes, and my Twitter is Spooky Show Pod. So I'll be posting like pictures and stuff from this case on there. And then you guys all know my personals, Bubbling Queen. I say it every episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope everyone has a wonderful evening or day wherever you are. Bye. Bye.